You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs in the house. See Raj here in spirit. Yes. I mean, I was going to say always, but I mean, that, that's a weird thing to say. That's a little bit. Yeah. That's odd. <laughs> it's a little too, like, Jedi. He's always here <laughs> with us in spirit. The Force will be with you always. He, he's traveling this week because he's headed to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Radio Will Road. Smith on his way to Miami. On his way to Miami. We should play that at some time in this hour. Just why not? How, how are you doing this morning, Tay? I'm good. It's just been a weird sort of week. Pro Bowl week. I know everyone's thrilled. It's the biggest week of the year in the sports calendar. Everyone's been waiting for this Pro Bowl. You got your Pro Bowl t-shirts. Yep, your golden jerseys, which look very weird. (laughs) Um, It's And then, you know, the Mariners having their luncheon sort of starting to ramp up their season and getting into Mariners coverage as we head into spring training and Peoria's on the calendar and things like that. It just... We're in this sort of lull before, and UW basketball is kind of in a weird spot. U- Wazoo had their great week the week before, but a little bit more of a quiet week this week. It's a transition period. Yeah. You just never, yeah, it's it's kind of trying to move from one sport to the next. In a year like or two, we'll have hockey here, if I can do yes. math correctly. We've math. talked about this. <laughs> Don't ask me. We'll have hockey here, maybe in a couple years, basketball. So so this this part of the year won't seem as lull-ish. I agree. But until then, we get the Pro Bowl, baby. Yes. We get Russell Wilson. We get Shaquille Griffin at the Pro Bowl. Also, Pete Carroll and coaching staff in attendance. New rules. New rules. Don't forget about those new rules. That they uh, are planning on rolling out or at least testing out. We'll we'll discuss some more of those in the 9 o'clock hour. Also, we want your suggestions of what you'd like to see uh, changes made or at at least experimented with. At uh, at the Pro Bowl, it's like college. It's the time for experimentation. Yeah, we'll probably call on the uh, the listeners out there today a bit. We have no Curtis again, so we're down a host. So we want you to be our co-host. Text in, stand in, please. Yeah, stand in for us. Stand by me. Seven ten, seven ten. Text in. Uh, we'll be uh, soliciting texts and your uh, your answers and questions and things like that as we go forward in the day. It's going to be an interactive show. It's going to be a, a group therapy session. We got to talk about King Felix. Right. Donning another jersey, which feels just sacrilegious. I don't know yeah. how else to put it. Whether you're, you might have a mixture of emotions. Maybe you feel bittersweet. Maybe you're happy for King Felix. It's probably a bit of both, I would imagine, if you're a Mariners fan. You, you get this weird combination of feelings. So we'll discuss uh, later in this hour, even. But right now, let's get to your big three. Number one. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks coaching staff will be at the Pro Bowl this weekend. Woo! In charge of the NFC roster for the first time. Pete revealed that Bobby Wagner is not going to attend the Pro Bowl because he's still dealing with a knee issue. Something that popped up in his exit interview and exam at the end of the season. So he instead will rest his body and sit out. But we did get the news this week that Shaquille Griffin would replace Marshawn Lattimore in the Pro Bowl. So cool for him to go back to the city where he played college ball and 
just having a ball out there. We got to hear him mic'd up, which was really fun. Maybe we'll play some sound later in the show. Uh, two Seahawks still representing this weekend at the all-star event for the NFL. Russell helping the NFC dominate in the precision passing and thread the needle skill competitions. Just Russ doing Russ things. All while rocking the, like, sunglasses that I think are from the Goofy movie. Yeah, you said it. Powerline glasses. I think it's the perfect way to yes. describe it. Powerline. Shout out to that. That's a little bit of a throwback, but... You know, Russ doing his off-season style. What a, you know, people were like uh, bringing up his man bun that he was rocking earlier this week. I say mm-hmm. you do you, Russ. Off-season Russ is fun, Russ. I love it. You just get as weird as you want because you know as soon as the season starts, he'll be in in full game mode. So I love it. Number two. Well, college roundup here in the Northwest. Utah basketball continuing to, to slide, dropping another game after having a big lead, falling to Utah, and dropping to last place in the Pac-12. Uh, very confusing times over there on Montlake, uh, especially with the expectations before the season. You know, landing Jaden McDaniels, having an Isaiah Stewart, and... Uh, and yet here we are in a questionable spot for the dogs looking to sort of bounce back and Jaden McDaniels looking to sort of find his game because he looks lost at times questionable fouls that he shouldn't be making. He's, I think everyone just knows he's better than the way he's playing right now. So I think just hoping to see the best play out of him and the dogs for the rest of the season after they lost quad green, it was clear this team lost a playmaker and a, a score and it had a massive effect on this team. So they've had a little bit of time to adjust the practice and let's see, you know, going forward, maybe they can bounce back, finish with a decent seeding for the PAC 12 tournament and hopefully make a run to the title game. Cause they're going to need a, a most likely a PAC 12 championship uh, under their belt in order to get to the tournament. And uh, as far as football goes, Senior Bowl taking place today. Two local kids competing. Center Nick Harris, quarterback Anthony Gordon, both going to compete. A coog and a dog. What a lovely relationship. Gordon will wear number three in his final game to honor Tyler Helinski. Super, so cool. or Senior Bowl starts today at 1130. Number three. Well, several Mariners headlines also happening this week. Felix Hernandez signing a minor league contract with the Atlanta Braves earlier this week. Maybe have some mixed feelings, as we mentioned. Happy for the King, but also it'll be a little weird to see him potentially wearing a uniform that's not the Mariners uniform because he's played his entire career with Seattle since he was just young baby face Felix, man. Also, we learned Mitch Hanniger will need core surgery and is likely to miss all of spring training as well as perhaps some of the start of the regular season, according to Jerry DePoto. Uh, Mariners GM speaking at the pre-spring training luncheon this week. What else did we learn from him? We'll dig into some sound. But the, the Hanniger news coming is quite a surprise that he just re-injured himself just this week on Monday. He had already had a setback, if you remember, last year while rehabbing from his ruptured testicle, which it's just poor guy, man. He's had an unfortunate series of events, but we know what a competitor he is. He had a setback while rehabbing from that initial injury uh, that that kept him out. And then now another one that will require surgery. So uh, what's his future like in Seattle? What does this mean for the team? Also, how does Jerry DePoto view the 2020 season? We'll discuss more at 9.38 a.m. In the meantime, the Mariners also claiming left-handed pitcher uh, Nick Mar- Margovichus, excuse yes. me, off waivers nice. from the Padres it. to add depth for starting rotation. So we'll discuss all of that at 9.30 a.m. 
Also, some honorary mentions. We got some Seahawks news other than the Pro Bowl. I know that takes uh, front and center here. Oh, man. But Jaron Reed, his response to a tweet on uh, earlier this week about potential salary discussions was yep. pretty intriguing. Pay range, so if we'll, you will. Yes, exactly. And what he believes he's deserved. Uh, we'll dig into that at 9.45 a.m. What the Seahawks could afford to pay Jaron Reed. What you're willing to pay Jaron Reed. We want to hear from you. Also, the XFL Dragons leading in ticket sales in the XFL just shows what kind of loyal fans we have here in Seattle. Over 20,000 expected at their home opener February 15th, I believe. We heard from Oliver Luck, the XFL commissioner who was in studio on Friday on some of their rule changes, and and I thought those were maybe the most fascinating part to me. Yeah, and uh, another weird or fascinating thing, the uh, Seattle team, uh, the lowest projected wins according to Las Vegas, (laughs) three and a half. Yes. Yes. But I think also that should tell you that that might be because of just the way that they're trying to move money because Seattle might have this big following of of fans who Mm -hmm. might be interested in betting on them, so maybe... Just that's just their interest of, of moving things around. Well, and also Tampa Bay at the top of that list. Setting a win total for a league that's never existed has to be extremely difficult. Yeah. I mean, to, un, to to project what the players are going to be like. Look, I think it's difficult to do for the NFL, yet they nail it almost every single game. You know, within four minutes of the final the final whistle in the fourth quarter, the line is almost exactly what the game looks like. So. Yeah. Vegas knows, uh, knows a few things. Yeah, they they should <laughs> knock it off for a little yeah. bit. Come back to earth. Re- let, let's let's you know let's focus in on the things that really matter. <laughs> well, speaking of those uh, rule changes in the XFL, we also have some that will be experimented with in the Pro Bowl this weekend, including uh, no kickoffs. Uh, some options instead of what the team can do after a successful score. Also. Uh, different calling on the false starts. How do those compare to, to the XFL changes that we might see and what changes would you want to see experimented with in the Pro Bowl? That's next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Thanks for hanging out with myself, Lydia Cruz, and Taylor Jacobs this morning. Love waking up on a Saturday, hanging out with you, just talking sports, talking Pro Bowl today. Yeah, the best day of all days, the Pro Bowl. The highest, the upper echelon of sports. I could imagine playing and it would be fun, I guess. I would think that, A, it's an honor, right? Like yeah. you, It's just a matter of respect. You get to be around players that you don't normally right. get to hang out with in that capacity. And then, yeah, it, whenever they do mic'd up, we got to hear Shaquille Griffin mic'd up, but whenever they, they just look like they're having fun. Yeah, I just think we're all in agreement something's got to give. Yeah. Something's got to change with the Pro Bowl, whether it's the game, adding more activities to the weekend. So we'll, many more activities. So many activities. We need to explore those things. We'll get into that a little bit more later on in the show mm-hmm. about specifically what we would like to change and what we want the Pro Bowl to look we've like. We've seen them start to experiment with playing dodgeball, doing other things to make it a little bit more interesting. The game itself is really not the highlight of the weekend. No. But in this game, it is also an opportunity for them to experiment with some rules that they would like to see perhaps implemented the following year. And so this year, two big ones. Yes. 
So the first being after a successful field goal, you no longer have to attempt an onside kick. You can opt to take the ball. So Team A may elect to give Team B the ball at Team B's 25-yard line, beginning a new series of downs with the first and 10. Or Team A may elect to take the ball at its own 25-yard line for a fourth and 15 play. So you got to get to the 40-yard line with this one play. If Team A is successful in making a first down, they maintain possession, and a new series of downs starts. The game continues essentially as normal. If Team A is unsuccessful in making that first down, it's a turnover on downs, and Team B gets the ball at that spot. So mm-hmm. the uh, 25-yard line uh, of the opposing team. So, so looking at it as a fourth and 15 is one of the yes. easier ways to comprehend it. Yeah, and... That's one of the ones I think really would add a lot to the game. I think everyone wants to see the QB with a chance to win, right? We, we talk about the complaints over the past few years of the game. of, You know, uh, Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship last year didn't get to touch the ball. Well, what if he had a chance on a 4th and 15 play? And just think about what it can do to a player's legend or lore to convert that play and then start the drive to win the game. I mean, it just... It can add so many great storylines and narratives, and I think it won't change the integrity of the game that much. But it will add uh, an exciting new element to the game and a new bit of strategy. Well, I'm excited for it as an NFL fan. I'd be terrified of it as a Seahawks <laughs> fan that it's just another thing that could potentially slip through the cracks on a Sunday uh, here in Seattle. But um I just think it's it's so intriguing, and I think it's a great way to think about uh, adding new intrigue to the game and taking away the onside kick, which seems to be one of the most irrelevant plays yeah, in the NFL. Yeah, it's become harder and harder for teams to be successful with the onside kick. You've heard the rise of complaints about it, and now the NFL, even though the things have been proposed even as early like last year, yeah. and they turned them down, now seems to be coming around to the fact that Okay, something has has to be done. I think making the end of games exciting is should and always be yes. a, a thing on the forefront of any professional sports mind. But you've seen it in basketball and you've seen it in football where the end of games sometimes turns out to be, or college basketball as well, mm-hmm. turns out to be. It's like a slog. It's a slog. Yeah. Yeah. You got to like work your way through this like muck. To like get to the end of a game sometimes, and it can really drag and take away from what whatever magic may have happened earlier in you know three fourths of the game. So, because um, because we all are subject to bias and recency effect, and and when a game ends that way, yeah, you you tend to think of it just in those terms, and you forget everything cool that happened. Yeah, as part of it. So I love this rule and what it could potentially bring. Um, to the NFL next season if they want to add it. I know they've been rushing to, to get certain rules in and certain rules through. We'll see whether or not this works, I guess, in the Pro Bowl. And, and I'm hoping that players like it and enjoy what it brings because it could be a great addition, I think, to the NFL. So something to keep your eye on tomorrow, that game, the kickoff time, I believe, at noon on ABC and ESPN where you could catch it. Also, just a smaller rule change that'll be coming won't probably be as noticeable yeah this one on false starts essentially by a flexed or 
a receiver who's flexed off of the main line of scrimmage here. It can be also a receiver who's set anyone set in a two point stance, not a three point stance. So basically if a wide receiver flinches, takes a foot off the ground, you know, we see that so often that gets flagged. That's a false start. Now this new rule change allows for that offensive player essentially to reestablish their foot back onto the ground and get given uh, one second of established, you know, set motion before the snap happens. So if you can get reset in one second, get your foot back down, reset before the play is called, um, they will no longer call that a false start. And I think that's just a great little, that's like cleaning up. That's small. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. That's dusting. You know what I mean? You can get away with not dusting every time you clean the house. But every now and again, you got to dust. You got to take care of those little little fibers, the little things that build up. To make your house truly sparkle. This just feels like one of those um, that totally makes sense. They should have the opportunity. It's It's not an offensive lineman where defensive linemen are so dependent on the movement of of offensive linemen and how the safety of the game can be compromised essentially if if you're messing with that and a defensive lineman is to get through on a on a play that's broken and have a clean shot at a quarterback it could end up being really dangerous so this is just one of those rules i think again just really needed to be done cleaned up at this point and i'm sure it will get passed to the NFL level at some point soon. Maybe not this season, but I would say at some point soon we'll see this at the NFL level. That the false start, if you reestablish yourself as a as a um, as a receiver on your uh, two point stance, that counts. And two point stance for those who don't know, your two feet, yeah. one two. Yep, one two. Easy as Three that. Three point stance. Your your hands in the ground and your two feet. Pete Carroll also commenting on these because we got to hear from the head coach. He is in charge of the NFC roster this weekend at the Pro Bowl, so that afforded us an opportunity to hear from him, and this was Pete on potential rule changes. And when you have the rule changes that are being proposed here for this game, the 4th and 15 attempt, the lack of false start by the receivers, what do you make about those experimental rules? Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I think it's fun to try to find a more competitive way to, you know, give the team that's behind, I think, a chance to go if, go for it. Onside kicks aren't working out real well. You know, <laughs> pretty low low rate. Uh, this situation is going to be interesting. We're going to see how it goes. I know if we get a chance, we're going to use it. Um, but as far as the, the, the penalties and stuff like that, we'll see how that goes. League needs to continue to grow and challenge and, and, and expand our thoughts and what is possible. This is one way to do it. Pete being, of course, the guy that was uh, was using his challenges last year to prove a point. So, yeah, I think he he mentioned there that the Seahawks, if this is an option, they will they will use it. Yeah, and I mean, give Russell Wilson a chance. Give Russell Wilson a chance, but also just terrify me at the end of games <laughs> even more. Cardiac kids, like I just, I'm gonna need a cardiologist to, to call in or text in about like ways we can work our hearts to be healthier and more apt to handle these games. Maybe you need some training that they give to people like in interrogation methods. You know how yeah. like you can keep your baseline heart rate just very low so that you know you don't fail like a lie detector test or anything. That needs to be you at the at a Seahawks game. So you can just keep your base heart rate just just calm. Or like Dragon Ball Z, they go into those chambers that like it's only an hour, but it's a year if you're in the chamber and I can like train for a year to be stronger as a human to handle these Seahawks games because it feels like we're working towards a more stressful life. (laughs) 
it's the life of a sports fan. You know, it's never, it's never easy. No. Speaking of which, being a Mariners fan, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been easy to us, Tay, over our entire lives. But what? that's what also makes it so much more rewarding down the line when eventually we win that World Series. I was going to say, it's been easy because we've just experienced the same thing for exactly. a long time. So. No. But uh, it does make you a tighter community in the Mariners uh, community. Also had a response to Felix Hernandez signing a, a minor league contract with the Atlanta Braves. How did you feel about that when you heard that news? But also, we heard tons from Jerry DePoto this week. Uh, Mitch Hanniger going to miss six to eight weeks after needing core surgery. Oof. What does this mean for the 2020 season? We'll tell you next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs in the house. Thanks for hanging out with us today. My favorite holiday of the year is not that far off. Pro Bowl. Well, no. What? No, Tay. Come on. This this holiday happens around mid-February. Some might say it's the most romantic holiday of the year. That would be pitchers and catchers report date. Ah, uh, not the answer I was thinking of as well. So, oh, are you hearing about this other thing called Valentine's Day? Oh, yeah. Tired. Tired. Yeah. Wired. Pitchers Wired, and catchers. Pitchers and catchers report nice. date. Okay, the real, uh, real Hallmark holiday is should be pitchers and catchers report date. Unfortunately, I still don't see any cards out. Uh, there hasn't, you know, been a movement behind it, but I'm trying to get it started. So I was going to say, and you're an artist. I I have you given dabble. cards out. I yes. have given cards out the last two years to people. So who, can we expect a third? Oh yeah, of course. There you go, three years. So. so if you're anti Valentine's Day but pro baseball, let me know. Yes. We'll make this happen. In the meantime, the Mariners are getting ready for pitchers and catchers report date. They had their pre-spring training luncheon this week. It was our opportunity to hear from Jerry DePoto, to hear from Scott Service, as well as a couple of players. And I think the biggest piece of news to come out of that was that Mitch Hanniger had a setback and will miss about six to eight weeks. Here was Jerry DePoto discussing that. We found out Monday night that Mitch had had a setback, and it's probably going to result in a core surgery that might cause for him to miss most or all of spring training and likely delay the start of his season. So uh, this is all kind of coming together over the course of the last 40 hours or so, so it's still very fresh. But, uh, you know, he's attacking it very aggressively because he doesn't want to miss any more time. Oh, that is just rough because this happened on Thursday, the the press, like the, the meeting with the press, so 40 hours. Yeah, just a yeah Tuesday. Days. Tuesday. Essentially Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday during a practice, re-aggravating something. And I was doing a little bit of research, and this is actually quite common of an injury, essentially. You're compensating during certain injuries with certain muscles. And so often we see athletes who have knee injuries hurt the other knee when they come back from that injury because they've been working so hard on the one knee, putting so much pressure on it during rehab or whatever the process may be, that we see so often that it, it, it ends up leading to another injury. And this is a common injury to lead from the rupture. The so equal and opposite reactions. Sort yeah. So again, no matter how you feel about Mitch Handiger, whether you want him to be a part of the future of the Mariners or you don't want him to be a part of the future and you want them to sell and get whatever assets they can get, this is terrible news. No matter how you slice it. If you're a fan of Mitch Haniger, Seattle Mariner, 
he's not going to be on the field for spring training. He's not going to have those reps, the, the comfort with the rest of the guys. His the leadership, spot. the continuity, because he is now one of the veteran players. All of that stuff. And then just being physically ready for the start of the season because it's going to take him some time to just ramp up to baseball speed, baseball ability. And we saw it with Kyle Seeger last year. What was it where yep. he missed, you know, a lot of spring training, those reps, they're invaluable. Like you, right. it, it just getting off to a, a slow start, even though baseball season, yes, is long is a bit of a marathon. It's still, it messes with routine. And that is so big for baseball players and a core injury. I mean, that's such a major it affects injury. everything you do in baseball, everything. And Mitch is a, you know, build as a five tool guy. He's supposed He's to shed. have right the the explosiveness in the field and the base running and the hitting and all of these things. And if your core's not there, I mean, you you literally lose the cornerstone of who you are. So it's just a bummer for him too because I know he is has been constantly described as an ultimate competitor. Yeah, he is a guy that. He might have even been rushing back from rehab the initial time because he had a setback last year and re-injured himself because I think he, he so wanted to be back with his team and wanted to compete. I think he there's a certain competitive intensity, if you talk to him, that you experience. You could, it's emanating from him. Yeah. And, 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 and then this to happen to him, I just feel for him. Yeah, and... And for those who don't feel for him, for those who want him out of here and want those those assets in return, this also hurts, right? This is also terrible news because he can't show what he's at, what level he's at right now. He had the injury last year, and, and I think you know MLB GMs understand that. But the ability to sort of get back to where to he sell was high. to show yourself, show your value. He can't show his true value for some time now. And most likely, just with the way baseball works, most likely not until midseason will you see any sort of returns for Mitch Hanniger if you're looking to trade him. That's worthwhile. Uh, it's so, And even maybe then, the midseason might be too soon. He might not have enough time to really ramp it up. Maybe he has another little setback. You know, needs a few weeks off in the middle of the season, or not in the middle of the season, but you know, in the middle of his season. And then again, we're talking about next off season. What do you do with Mitch Haniger? So a lot of question marks. This is just sort of a a dark cloud they didn't necessarily need with a player who could have provided so much, no matter what side you thought uh, he could provide it for. Now we always knew that this was going to be a bit of uh, what? How do you even? put a label on this year a growing year <laughs> uh, yeah a learning experience anytime you seem to slap a label on it, it just gets mocked endlessly so we won't do that i think uh last year it was reimagining it was yeah. there was a lot of rewords thrown around so we won't maybe we won't even label it you know we'll just be cool we won't put a, we won't slap a label on it but uh but jerry depoto talking about how this year is going to be a challenge because of the way the roster is constructed this year is going to be more of a challenge because of the way the roster sets up you know there is a benefit to having the 26th man uh in that it allows you another player to to ease the load over the course of the season whether it be innings or or plate appearances etc but the limit in september for teams that are in the at the the their stage in development that we are. We are a building team. And, you know, September last year gave us the benefit of Justin Dunn throwing innings, Justice Sheffield getting the ball every fifth day, Kyle Lewis playing regularly for two, three weeks. That matters, and, and it's beneficial to player development, if not a contending club. 
Yeah, let's actually dig into that. We've already talked about a few rule changes in this hour, but those were football-related. But we should mention the active roster experiencing some changes in 2024 baseball. It goes from 25 to 26 players. That's through August 31st, but the size of the expanded rosters is actually going to be reduced. So in September, those September call-ups that usually happen, it's going to be less. It goes from 40 to 28, which is a significant drop-off. Yeah, I'm, that's what I'm most interested to see is that that impact and what that has on the young players who value those reps coming up at that time and being able to get those major league at-bats. And, you know, how will the loss of some of those reps for those players change the growth and how long it takes for them to, to grow in and evolve into the players that they're supposed to be? So... And look, for a team like the Mariners, where they're already focused on that, I think it's not as big of an issue just because, look, they're going to be trying to work these guys up to the major league level throughout the year, trying to get them the reps throughout the year. And those few reps at the end of the season might not be as valuable. But I think in the next few seasons when the Mariners do establish that core, it will be very interesting to see how they handle that and how they continue to maintain building talent and uh, and getting young players, you know, like you mentioned, the Duns and the Lewises, and, you know, now we have the J-Rods and the Kellenics and, and what they'll look like and what sort of growth they need to get ready to be major league contributors. Yeah, and I think it'll also, a lot of the way that bullpens are constructed is what will be impacted here because now, too, you have the must-face at least three batter minimum for a pitcher unless the inning ends or the pitcher is injured. And those call-ups a lot of times in September are extra bullpen pieces for teams hoping to compete down the stretch and add arms there. So I think it might change a lot of the strategy of how how – games are played which i'm yeah i'm fascinated by it won't be as big a concern for the mariners this year right as we heard they uh aren't going to be playoff contenders in 2020 at least that according to jerry depoto we don't think that we're likely to threaten for a playoff position this year our season we will measure our season based on the development of our young players which i think is a very honest and upfront statement a lot of people reacting negatively to this one on twitter yeah well even text line 425 why should we have any hope for the mariners they just get me angry at the fan or they just get angry at the fans and scold us to be patient they need to grow up and admit it's not our fault and take some responsibility 425 that's them taking the responsibility right there to go out in front of the media before the season for the second year in a row and essentially say, we're not going to be going after a title. We got to be thinking about development. That's brutally honest. And Mm -hmm. the the other side of it, the other option is to be brutally lying to your face and say, this team can compete. This team's ready to go for a world series, all of those things. So if I were to hear Jerry say those, that would make me furious. That would make me lose my head because I'd be like, that's not it. That's not real. That's not the truth. That's disingenuous. This is real. This is the truth. This is what it takes. Unfortunately, the way baseball is structured, it just takes time. And that time is actually multiple seasons. And look, it may even spill into next season a little bit, but in order to be successful long-term, you have to make these short-term sacrifices. And yes, they haven't made the playoffs for 18 years. But 
those teams, none of those 18 teams were the exact same. And it's hard to put an entire uh, history on a current management or like it's entire, it's not fair to hang that entire burden on the current management who wasn't in charge of it that entire time. Trust Taylor and I have been through that same experience. We are born and raised here. We are diehard Mariners fans and have experienced the pain right along with you. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an excuse, right? No. And here's the thing too. Also in baseball, it's the, just a unique sport in that you can't draft and immediately have those draftees impact your team the next year. The average time in the minor leagues is five years. That's if people make it, you also have a ton of people that never actually get up to the big leagues or fulfill their expectations. That's so unique to baseball. And it does unfortunately require a certain level of patience until you have built that winning system and that winning culture. And I honestly, a great text here from the 206 sort of sparked my mind that Jerry DePoto's way he looks at talent versus the way Jack Z looked at talent are so different. And if you are a true baseball fan and you love the minutia and all the little parts of baseball and you love the Mariners, and I asked you, what feels better as a baseball fan, the Jack Z tenure of the way he was handling it or the way Jerry and and Scott are handling it now, I think you would get a hundred percent response that Jerry and Scott are handling it in the best way compared to Jack Z. So yeah, Jack Z was to, no development. Was right. was the impatient era. Was well, just get up here, Mike Zanino, and contribute right away, and just be you. So to lump in the the down the shortcomings of all of those tenures isn't fair because they're not the same. And if you compare them the same, you find out that they're truly so different and they're such a different feel. And I'm way more confident in the way the Mariners are building now and the direction they're heading versus when Jack Z was here and it was just lighting cash on fire, essentially. It feels good to have a lot of prospects that are being talked about. That's part of the hope for the future. And Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick, among those names that we've heard a lot about, Jerry Depoto saying they're taking their time with those youngsters. We are dealing with, in Julio's case, very limited experience above short the short A ball, West Virginia, and uh, or or low A ball, and in Jared's case, just 92 plate appearances above the the Cal League. So, you know, I don't want to do anything that will harm their progress. It's a we think a lot of of both players. We want to do the right thing for their development, and if the Mariners have an April that is tougher to watch because we were taking our time to do the right thing for for Julio and Jared. That's what we will do. I like that. We're, like, yeah. we're going to do maybe what's uncomfortable or maybe what's, uh, you know, gets us uh, scorned in the, by the public. Because, granted, a sign stealing and all of that aside, when I read Astro Ball the first time, and it talked a lot about just the way that they drafted and certain things that had nothing to do with the sign stealing to begin with, but a lot of the things that they were scorned for was the way that they did defensive shifts or the way that they drafted. And in my mind, honestly, if you're not being critiqued for the way that you're doing it, you're then you're doing it wrong. You're antiquated. You're you're just trying to copycat and be like everybody else. If you're not out there doing it a little differently and honestly making fans a little angry, then you're probably behind the times. Totally agree. So that should, I think, give you a little bit of hope. We still have to discuss Felix Hernandez and his future because uh, he signed a minor league deal with the Atlanta Braves and 
We got to hear from Jerry DePoto on how he felt about that, so we'll discuss uh, later. But up next, also a little Seahawks rumblings and news. We've talked a lot about the free agent decisions that are facing the Seahawks. Jaron Reed weighing in on how much he'd like to get paid. It's next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Thanks for hanging out with us. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs to my right. Call him fresh. Hey. Fresh to death. Just just for a while. Yeah. Or just fresh for a while. <laughs> the Seahawks have uh, plenty of questions facing them this offseason. When, when it comes to free agents, too, we've spent a lot of talk, time talking about Jadevian Clowney, his future in Seattle. Will the Seahawks be able to afford the price tag that he might command? He wants to go to a winner. He said that in the past. Well, we've spent a lot of time on Clowney and maybe not as much time on Jaron Reed. Yeah. Just because uh, one D lineman has commanded our attention. And Well, I think that the Seahawks also value re-signing Clowney more than they yes. value re-signing Reed at be- this moment. Yes, because they typically have had success. We heard from Danny Kelly of the Ringer on finding veteran interior defensive linemen in the past. Uh, they even did this year in Al Woods and what he was able to do stopping the run. But uh, here was Danny Kelly, actually. Let's play you that sound clip on why he wouldn't make re-signing Jaron Reed a priority. Starting with Jaron Reed, um, he wouldn't probably be a big priority for me just because I think that the Seahawks in general have done such a good job over the years of bringing in veteran interior defensive linemen that can kind of just get the job done. Um, you know, we've seen that happen over and over throughout the years. Obviously, you want to you want to have a good young player at that position, but to me, they have so many other needs on defense that interior defensive line spot is a little bit more fungible with like a like a lower paid veteran guy. I think um, you know, if we're talking Jaron Reed, who has ten sacks versus Jaron Reed of this season, I, you know, obviously it's a little bit different. But I think he kind of fell back to where you might more expect him to be. So that was uh, a little while ago where Danny Kelly was speaking to 710 ESPN. And on Twitter, we got a little bit of actions uh, earlier this week. Yeah, Sam Gold uh, essentially retweeting and talking about, you know, the teams that have the most projected cap space and, and how they would potentially be using said cap space. And Sam essentially laying out the potential moves the Seahawks could make. The Seahawks, by the way, ninth on the list of most projected cap space in 2020. The top Colts, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, and Titans ahead of the Seahawks and Raiders rounding out the top 10. But you're right. He took this over the cap tweet, yep. retweeted it, mm-hmm. and said he a couple of potential cuts that the Seahawks could make. To get even. So they're at the, what, the 57.9 currently, but you know, here are three moves the Seahawks can make to push them over the $70 million in cap space mark. They'd have to cut these three people, Justin Britt, you know, $8.75 million cap hit, Ed Dixon, 3.25, and DJ Fluker, $3 million. Could use the extra cap space to re-sign Clowney, 19 to 21 mil average per year, and Jaron Reed, 8 to 10 average per year, with plenty left over. So that's the initial tweet. Correct. Just Just putting a thought out there. Jaron Reed. Also, let me just say, oh. real quick before we move on, not inflammatory in any way. Seems a very appropriate for positional, you know, level of skill, pay.
pay, just where the market is for these positions. These are actually just over the caps estimates. Correct. Yeah. Of what but, those players might make. And fair ones at that. I, it just that would be mm-hmm. an average around what you would see that the range be. So the actual like controversy though sparked by Jaron Reed's response to this tweet, which he said, "Yikes, that's disrespectfully low." So obviously he has in his mind what he is expecting to to get in his deal, and it is over the eight to ten million per year that uh, that's estimated by over the cap. Uh, Sam Gold responded, uh, it could be for the record. I was just using over the caps estimate in my original tweet. Are you thinking in the 15 million range or what number are you looking for? Reed didn't actually give a specific number in his response. He just, I said, I feel you. I know you're doing your job, but help me out. So what does Jaron Reed expect from his contract and can the Seahawks afford to pay it? I mean, fifteen million per. Let me. I'm pulling it up right now on the averages for defensive tackles, even all throughout the league. And fifteen million would put him above Marcel Darius, above Linval Joseph, above Sheldon Richardson and Akeem Hicks. That's lofty. It would put him just right below Geno Atkins, Grady Jarrett, Fletcher Cox, and Aaron Donald in the top five for defensive tackles. And I don't think. Jaron Reed has played to the level of a top five defensive tackle in the NFL. Can he? Maybe. The ten and a half sack season that we saw. He a year has ago. shown that he has skills and he can get it done. But right at this moment, with coming off the the season with the suspension, coming off the season with the production, that's a lofty ask. I think to go to the Seahawks and ask for $15 million to be a top-five paid defensive tackle in this league after that season. Now, what I would do is go back and sign the one-year prove-it deal. If you truly do believe this, Jaron, sign the prove-it deal. Sign the one-year salary in that range with the option to go hit free agency again next year, play the full season, go out there and ball, And go out and get paid the next year. If you want to go ahead and do that, I'm completely okay with that. I'm actually, I would prefer that that's the way it goes down with Seahawks and Jaron Reed. That they sign him to a short-term deal for less money. And then he has a chance to go out into that open market. Because I said it last week, and and I still believe that. I think Jaron Reed has more value outside of Seattle. Like a lot of Seahawks players end up doing. Yes, that they're valuable to other teams because they know what they're going to get. And even overpaying a little bit to get a lesser player, you just know what you're getting with that player when they come from Seattle and what you can expect from them. And it, it feels like... Yeah, just 15 is a lot. Sorry, just to get back to this. That's a lot of money. Our own Dave Wyman, uh, who you can listen to every day in the afternoons from 3 to 7 as part of uh, Bob, Dave, and Moore, he was talking about how it would be difficult or tough to pay Jaron Reed over $10 million to begin with. You know, he was kind of quieted down when he came here just because there was older guys, and now he's got a voice. And, you know, I know he wasn't super happy when Frank left, but it it certainly would be tough to pay him that top-end number. But also, you would also sit back and look and go, they need D-linemen. It's true. It, be, it does become a numbers game at a certain point, and, and your lack of depth there has been a problem mm-hmm. for a couple of years now. And on top of it, draft-wise, 
Yes. It's hard to get a defensive tackle lineman who can be a game changer without giving up some serious draft capital. It also tells you, I mean, we're still seeing the impact of the Malik McDowell of what happened with that. Yes. It's just the reverberations from that are still hitting this team years later. But also, how big is LJ Collier and needing him to step up next year? Huge. Huge. I mean, look, he was an a healthy scratch for some games and look I had a chance to sit down with him and play um, play NBA 2K and have a chance to chat during Hawks Live and I think the thing that stood out to me the most because I asked him what have you learned the most this rookie year what stood out to you and his and his answer was immediate just the prep that it takes to be ready and to get ready and get your body ready to get your mind ready that he wasn't ready for what it takes to take that next step forward from college to the pros. And that's difficult to hear. I understand fans that hearing a, a first round pick struggle to adjust to life from college, to the NFL. But if I had told you that they had drafted DK Metcalf in that spot yeah. instead of LJ Collier and LJ was that second round pick and needed this time, I think the expectations and, and, sort of the reaction from fans would be a lot different. So I'm wondering if it's just having to do with the number next to his selection and where he was taken. And if that's the case, maybe we do need to cut him a little bit more slack um, and get and for LJ. That is to, to get ready to play at that next level. And maybe it's just turns to more of just your, your faith in being able to draft that position is waning a little bit because of what happened with Malik McDowell. Now you saw Rasheem Green really come out of his shell this year, and you saw a lot of promising things from him. But I think that along with the safety position, because you did spend a second-round pick on Marquise Blair, and you have spent significant draft capital in that in that safety position over the past couple of years without yielding as, as many results, those would be the two positions that I think you have concerns about, understandably so, moving forward this year. But uh, we'll continue that discussion. Can you pay afford to pay Jaron Reed what he expects to be paid? Could he potentially be a franchise tag player? Could a one deal type a one year deal type player? We'll discuss more on that later in this hour. But uh, coming up next, we have a pretty cool interview opportunity. Ted. Yeah, Tim Holloway. We've had him on before from uh, both the Vancouver Titans and now the Seattle Surge, who had their Call of Duty League debut yesterday. So a new team here in Seattle. You're going to get to see them here playing in the next few months awesome. in Seattle down there at CenturyLink Event Center. So we're going to talk to Tim about you know what's going on with Vancouver and Seattle and maybe an opportunity for you, the listener, to challenge some of these eSports stars and maybe prove yourself. Hey, let's go. That's next on Seattle Sports Saturday.